near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, what near-death experiences may teach about life on the other side, and the music album, Home. Today we're going to share a couple of experiences, possibly three, depending on how much time uh, we end up with. And all of these can be found on enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. So we'll start with Colin. Colin says, I don't remember the accident itself. All I know is that I was conscious and aware, and I was in a tunnel. I was moving faster and faster to a point of light at the top of the tunnel. I was going upwards. I got to the end of the tunnel and was facing the light. It was tremendously brilliant, but it didn't hurt to look at it. It was humbling compared to the feeble light that I was giving off. I had no body, but did glow a little. I was also light. We didn't speak exactly, but I understood everything clearly. I was shown scenes from my life, scenes where I didn't act properly, where I was mean, and many times when I stood by and did nothing as others did nasty things. By now I thought that I was dead. I realized that I was a coward, and that I had wasted my life. I was shown my own suicide and funeral in the future, but I thought that I was dead now, and that my suicide and funeral were just a playing out of what had been my unhappy life. I was doomed to die one way or another. Waves of depression and sorrow washed over me as I realized that everything that I had done was a waste. Even though I was only 15, my life had been laid out in a pattern that would lead to sorrow and being unfulfilled. Then, in the deepest part of my anguish, I found myself back in the tunnel, with the light fading behind me. The tunnel ended, and I was in a void. I had no body of light now, but I was awake and conscious. I was as fully aware as I am now, but there was a nothingness that was so pervasive that it almost became something. I wanted to move, but couldn't. I fought the hardest fight that I can remember, and just when I couldn't fight anymore, I was awake and conscious in a hospital bed. That is the end of Colin's experience. Now, this is an interesting one because it was a distressing near-death experience, one not in the uh, demonic sense, 
But how many of these experiences include waves of depression and sorrow? Not many. But this qualifies absolutely because the experience was rather distressing to Colin. The thing that makes it interesting, though, is why it was distressing. It wasn't because of anything frightening that he saw or anything terrifying. Rather, it was because he could see the choices that he had made in his life and see that it had all been a waste, that he was a coward. He even saw his own suicide, which I presume happened later or would happen if he didn't change his life. It doesn't actually specify that, but it does specify that he, or he does specify that he had wasted his life. Now, I don't know what his life was like. I don't know what he'd done with it thus far. After all, he was only 15 years old, so he was quite young. But he saw that he had wasted the time that he'd had. And at the time, even 15 years was a big deal to him. It mattered to him that he had wasted his time. And then he finds himself fading um, back into the tunnel. And then he finds himself in the void. In this complete blackness where he, in his situation, he says, I wanted to move but couldn't. And I don't know if that is because moving didn't do anything or if it was that he could not actually make the motions, much as it feels to be bound here on earth. I don't know. Maybe he was actually feeling the sensation of being in his body, but unable to move it, but was not conscious to experience it. Either way, he was in this void. And just as he fought, you know, he was fighting his hardest, and finally gave up on the fight. And the moment he gave up on the fight, he found himself awake in a hospital bed. Now, there is not a lot of detail given in this near-death experience, but the message seems very clear. Don't waste the time that you have. That doesn't mean you have to be a busybody. It doesn't mean you have to be rushing from one thing to another and constantly trying to do more and trying to do more. It means... Take the time to do good while you're here. If you find yourself in a situation that takes courage, use courage. If you find yourself in a situation that takes faith, exercise faith. If you find yourself in a place that you have a choice to act or to hold back, and the acting would be good, or would be enlightening, or would be fun in a uplifting sort of way, by all means, act. You're here to do. If you find yourself in a situation where you could serve, or you could not serve. Because those things, those moments, are going to come back to either bless you, and make you feel fulfilled and loved and purposeful or make you feel depressed. Okay, let's jump to the next one. This is Sherry. Sherry says, 
I was walking upstairs from our apartment to go outside. My boyfriend was there, and I put my arms around his neck, told him to hold me because I was going to pass out. He thought I was joking, let me go, and I fell backwards and slammed my head against the frozen concrete walkway. This is what I experienced. I became conscious that I was in complete darkness and alone. I had zero sense of body, but a complete sense of self. I was me. Sense of humor, intelligence, etc. I was suspended, just there. I perceived a spot of color way off in the distance, like a small pinprick of color on a jet black blotter. My thought was, oh, what is that? The moment I thought it, I moved forward, almost like my curiosity propelled me. I knew I had no body, so it was like floating forward. I remember thinking, wow, this is cool. I wanted to see what the color was. The more curious I got, the faster I was propelled forward, like flying. It felt incredibly freeing. I really liked it, and the more I wanted to go faster, the faster I went. As I got closer to the color, I heard faint music and smelt an incredibly intoxicating scent. I focused my mind, and I was really ripping through space now, and found myself skimming over this all-encompassing landscape of such colorful flowers, colors that I had never seen before, and I realized that was a sad thing. The smell of them was so incredible, and the music so loud and sweet. I was in total control, but couldn't stop. I kept going faster. The faster I went, the more, the more colorful the flowers, the more powerful their smell, and the louder and sweeter the music. Until everything reached such a crescendo, I was thrown into a stunning moment of light and clarity. I remember thinking, so that's what it's all about. And I felt like I'd thrown my head back if I had a head and let out such an incredible belly laugh. Didn't have a belly either. The truth is incredibly funny, and it is a living thing. The moment that I thought, so that's what it's all about, and laughed, I woke up on the ground to see my boyfriend, white as a ghost, hovering right over my face. He said that I was out for over ten minutes, but he thought I was fooling around because he said that I had the most beautiful smile on my face that he had ever seen. The lesson that I took away from this event is the following. One, do not live in fear. Fear will keep you stuck in a dark space or void. If I would have wanted to see what that speck of light was, and if I would have been afraid to go, I would still be suspended in darkness. 2. Never lose your sense of childlike wonder and curiosity. It will take you and lead you where you need to go. And 3. Do not lose your sense of humor. I believe that the truth is funny, and we need to lighten up a little. That is the end of Sherry's experience. And this is a delightful one. I, I can't help but love this experience because here she is in just a, I mean, probably a moment of just kind of, she feels a little 
a little woozy or whatever. And so she leans on her boyfriend, um, you know, holds on to him and says, I think I'm going to pass out. And then she does. She just does. Okay. She probably doesn't remember hitting the ground, but her boyfriend says that's what she did. And she is immediately in darkness. She's in this complete darkness, the void, as we keep calling it. And she's like, just kind of there. She's, she's herself. She recognizes that her consciousness, her sense of humor, her intelligence, it was all there. She was there. And then she finds herself in this darkness and perceives a spot of color that the moment she wonders about, she begins rushing toward. And as she's rushing toward it, she really starts getting excited and starts rushing faster. And the more, the faster she goes, the more she wants to go faster. And the more she wants to go faster, the more she does go faster. She's in complete control. She can make herself go as fast as she wants and she keeps getting faster. And she has this flying feeling, incredible rush. And then she begins to smell this intoxicating scent of flowers, which she also sees. And she doesn't describe exactly what, where these uh, color, where these uh, flowers came from, except to say that she found herself skimming over this all-encompassing landscape. So I assume that she is suddenly sensing that she's floating over or flying over a world, a, a planet, uh, probably like Earth, or at least from her perspective, it's like Earth, except that it's this all-encompassing landscape of such colorful flowers that go beyond description, uh, the colors that she's seeing. And she's so impressed by the color or by, yeah, by the colors and also music. She's hearing music, beautiful music, faint, um, but beautiful and loud, eventually loud and sweet. She describes it. She's in control but she can't stop. So it's, it's kind of like, it's this intoxicating nature of the experience that is driving her forward. She can't bring herself to stop, even though she knows she has the power to do it. But she just keeps going faster and faster. And it's just, she kind of reaches this pinnacle, uh, this crescendo that she says it reached such a crescendo that she was thrown into a stunning moment of light and clarity. And at this point, she stops describing landscape she just, or, or movement or anything. And I don't know what this means, but perhaps she is now enveloped in this source light that some people describe. Or perhaps she is kind of mentally, consciously in that sort of a light, but is not seeing it. Or, or maybe she is, and it's just the, the sensations and answers and feelings that are over her are so overwhelming that, that visual is totally unimportant. That's my impression. But she says that it, she remembers thinking, so that's what it's all about. So clearly she has, the, in this light and clarity, she has knowledge and understanding, clarity about what it's all about. And here, I love this line. She says, the truth 
is incredibly funny, and it's a living thing. Now, that is an odd thing to say. <laughs> the truth is funny. But think about it. If you are this all-knowing being in some way or other, whether this all-knowingness is all the knowledge of the universe or just a general understanding of the universe as a whole or whatever it is that gives this sense of, I understand it all now. And she's finding it so funny that she's laughing out loud. I don't think she means that it's like this joke. I don't think she means that it's goofy or some way um, laughable in the sense that that it's some kind of trick that's that we're all involved in. But I think, I'm guessing here, but I'm thinking that she's probably feeling like it's so simple, it's actually fun, and it's a little bit playful. It's life in its truest, deepest, fullest sense. Think of what we heard about in the last near-death experience that we read. This depressing feeling of not having lived compared to this experience of coming to this complete clarity and finding it funny and light and beautiful and overwhelming. One sounds like fun at its pinnacle. And the other sounds like everything else. Depressing. Distressing. Discouraging. Maybe even fearful. And the message that Sherry gets out of this, the first that she mentions is, do not live in fear. That fear is what keeps you stuck in a dark space or void. Now, as one who has been through a lot, at least financially. I can't say much for for um, serious health issues, um, marriage issues, things like that. I have a wonderful family, a wonderful marriage. I feel incredibly blessed. But as one who has felt on the brink of losing everything time and again and again and again and again and again, that incessant suffering, if you will, um, surrounding fear of what tomorrow might not have or might not include in that sense. And I think fear comes in whatever form, be it relationships, be it health, whatever, your, your struggles. It's so tempting to fear, and yet Sherry is saying, don't live in fear. That's what keeps you in the darkness and void. And then she uses as an example, if I had been too afraid to examine that little spot of color in the distance, I would have been suspended in darkness, would not have experienced this overwhelming clarity and beauty and insight and light and love and humor that is everything that we are here for. And then she goes on to say her second lesson was, don't lose your childlike wonder and curiosity because it will take you or lead you where you need to go. Isn't that interesting? 
if you're looking for guidance, some way to gauge where to go from here, what, you know, whether you're on the right path and so forth, maybe those are a couple of questions you could consider. Is, are the choices you're making out of fear or out of a childlike sense of wonder and curiosity? Because one will take you where you need to go and the other will suspend you in darkness. Interesting, isn't it? And then last of all, she says, don't lose your sense of humor. I believe, I believe that the truth is funny and we need to lighten up a little. Now, this message, I suspect, is not for everyone. Some people need to take life a little more seriously. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they live life every moment for itself and, and wasting all their money on drugs and, and uh, lifestyles that will hurt them ultimately on sensations that, that will feel good at the moment and will lead them to deeper and deeper sorrow. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not, that doesn't even seem to be what she's hinting at. But she says, humor is part of the truth. Or at least that's the message I'm getting. And I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but have you ever noticed that often some of the most hilarious stand-up comedy acts are ones that you hear it and you're like, that is so true. And it's not that, uh, that saying something true is funny of itself, but life in its truest, most authentic self is hilarious. It's funny. And it hurts sometimes. And it does include suffering. But when you allow that suffering to be approached from a childlike sense of wonder and humor, find the funny, find the curiosity and the wonder, then there's not really enough space for fear. Maybe that's just a sample of what faith is or what faith can be. That wonder, that curiosity, that humor, that not living in fear. We got a little time. Let's go to one more. This is Cyril. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. C-Y-R-I-L. Cyril says, It started in 1971. I was 20 years old and had just been laid off my job as an upholsterer. To make ends meet, I got a job at a builder's merchant's factory. After being there a few months, I started getting severe headaches. They were so severe that I was going to the pub to try to get rid of them by having a few beers. No good. It didn't work. So the next step was trying out a few spliffs. Hope you know what I mean. And side note, I believe that means marijuana. Anyways, things were getting so bad. My dad phoned the doctor. I went there, just normal headaches, she said. I was going there week in, week out, until the day came when I couldn't move from the sofa in the front room. I was sick everywhere, and every ten minutes, I couldn't eat anymore. And they ended up rushing me to the hospital because of problems with my ears. They thought that's the best place for me. It was there that I kept going in and out of comas. They decided they'd send me to the neurological center. I died twice on the way to the hospital. These are the things I was told as I was unconscious. Well, I had an abscess on the brain caused by weeping from the ear. 
Instead of coming out of my ear, it traveled upwards and on into the brain. They told my mom and dad and my brother that there wasn't much hope. When I was in bed, and a priest was at the end of the bed reading my last rites, I left my body. I was above everyone, looking down, and I could see what was going on. My mom and brother cuddling each other, my dad hiding behind a large curtain and crying. He obviously didn't want people to see him. I was then wheeled on a trolley to the theater. I'm still above, looking down on everything. It gets into the theater, and I see all the silver dishes gleaming down onto me. Saw the surgeon. Anyway, he picked up this green drill. How did, he, how did I know it was green? Because I could see everything. There were two nurses. I could see their faces passing objects to the surgeons. Remembered the nurses' faces were half covered, but I could see them. The drilling began. I now started to leave the operating theater, and yes, into a tunnel. Yes, we have all heard of the tunnel. It was a pleasant trip, because at the end of the tunnel, I could hear children laughing and playing, but I couldn't see them. The grass was so lush green, not a weed in sight. Then there was this dark shadow looking at me. I didn't know who it was, but the shape looked like my grandfather. I will never know, or maybe I will when my turn comes to die. It was so, so, so nice and peaceful in this place. I started to go to a hill where I'm sure I would have seen all the children and people on the other side. But then came this enormous but gentle hand that pushed me back and calming voice that said, you are not ready. Next thing I can remember is going back into my body on the ward and the priest had gone, but I was out for a few weeks. Then slowly but surely, I was getting better. Now when I was fit enough on the ward, I saw the two nurses that were in the theater. I called them both over and they, when they were together, I said, you were in the theater where I was being operated on. They were amazed. How did you know that? So I told them. They didn't know what to say, but yes, you're right, we were. Now when I saw the doctor, so about that green drill, I asked him the color of the drill he used to drill into my skull. He replied with green. (laughs) What can I say? I said to my, my parents, who was the priest that was standing there? As I pointed to the very spot, they couldn't believe I knew exactly where he was standing. I expect there are non-believers among you, and I know what happened to me. I believe there is life after death. There is a heaven because I think I was nearly there, and God pushed me away back into my body. And to know what nurses were in the theater when I was unconscious, remember, There were then thousands of nurses I could have picked from, and the color of the drill. I also had another operation while in the hospital on the inner ear called a cavity operation. A cavity was made in the ear, so weeping couldn't travel upwards and cause the same problem. 
I was the first person in the United Kingdom to have that operation. And that is the end of Cyril's experience. And his is a very uh, traditional type uh, description of a near-death experience, but he has an interesting way with words um, such that some things I'm not entirely clear about. For example, um, after having seen all these things around his body, um, he says that um, he finds himself in a tunnel and then he says he could hear children laughing and playing, but could not see them. Okay, so I'm still picturing in the tunnel. But then he says the grass was so lush green, not a weed in sight. So is this grass in the tunnel? Is it, is, is he gone through the tunnel and now he's through to the other side to a, a grassy field? And can he see the laughing children now? I, I don't know. He doesn't really specify that. And the interesting thing about that, uh, this this is something that some people would just find uh, doesn't matter, not a big deal, whatever. But to me, it's actually a little bit of evidence of the truth of, uh, of what he's saying, because the way he's describing things sounds like somebody describing something where they are kind of forgetting as they go along what they haven't yet described. When somebody makes up a story, they tend to be thorough enough to make it sound legitimate, of course, but detailed enough that it sounds, you know, it, it, it's, it's often the details that convince people. And not that this doesn't have details, because it does, but there's something about the way that Cyril is describing it, that it feels kind of incomplete, like he should have mentioned something about there being grass before mentioning how lush the green was of the grass, but, you know, it just, it just shows he's, he's seeing this picture in his mind, and he's trying to describe it. And we know from near-death experiences, the study of them, that that is not really possible to do. But the attempt can help point us kind of in a vaguely right direction of what he's experiencing. And so he describes leaving the theater in a tunnel and hearing children laughing and playing, um, even though he couldn't see them. And then there is grass that is so lush and green, not a weed in sight. And then there's this dark shadow looking at him that looks like his grandfather. And it's like, did he come walking up in the grassy field? Is he floating toward him in the tunnel? It's it's very unclear. And and for someone seeing this, that is a very easy mistake to make. Somebody who actually experienced this and is trying to describe it and struggling to do so they know they can't get it all in, so they're leaving parts out because they don't know how to describe it, but they don't notice that some of what they're leaving out is kind of essential information for us to get a picture of what's actually going on. Does that make sense? I find that to be evidence of truth, or at least of his conv being convinced of what he's experienced and what he is experiencing at the time. 
anyway, that that may be a little bit of a tangent for for such a a simple point, but uh, he does go on to describe the um, the uh, veridical aspects of his experience or after the experience of approaching the nurses and say, "You two were there," and they're like, "What? You know, how do you know?" Go to the doctor. What color was the drill you used? Green. Aha. See, that's what I saw. And so has these experiences that at least for him confirm that absolutely this was real. This wasn't just some amazing dream. This really happened. His consciousness was outside of his body. In fact, far from his body. And and having this, this experience that was much deeper than what he left behind. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, if you would like to reach out to me, you can do so by emailing Chaz, that's C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org. Also, you can see past episodes of the show by going to neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. You can email John by emailing john at ndepodcast.org. You can also go to patreon.com slash ndepodcast and become an ongoing monthly contributor. That's what kind of keep the lights on <laughs> with this program. And as I've said many times before, even if you can't participate, I you know, uh, purchase my book or, or whatever that helps the podcast, even if you can't contribute financially in some way, your being here makes it worth it to me to do this. So thank you again, all of you, for listening. Thank you.